So when I think about an unstructured group, it's basically you're telling musicians, go and make music. Um, if you did that, the instruments would play whatever they want, whenever they want, you're just going to get noise. Everybody has to know their roles, know when to play, how to play, and how to connect with each other for a group to work and, and make music together. Welcome to There's a Better Way, a podcast series focused on exploring how operational excellence principles can provide solutions in your personal and professional life. Each episode, Dr. Arvind Chandrasekharan, professor and academic director at The Ohio State University Fisher College of Business, will sit down with a prominent expert or faculty leader to discuss problems we face in our world today. This program is brought to you by the Master of Business Operational Excellence. Welcome to There is a Better Way. I'm here with Dr. Tanya Mainan, Associate Professor of Management and Human Resources at The Ohio State University. She's also the co-author of the book, Stop Spending, Start Managing, Strategies to Transform Wasteful Habits. Welcome to the program, Tanya. Thank you so much, AC. So Tanya, tell us more about, uh, for the listeners here, tell us more about what, what kind of research you do, because I do, you do a lot of work that is in the intersection of psychology, teams, and decision making. So can you yeah. tell us more about what you do? Yeah, I do research, um, the, the, the research I work on is very much on how people have emotional reactions, for example, to social mm -hmm. relationships. So how they connect with other people in networks when they reach reach outwards, how they operate in their teams. Mm -hmm. So very connected to how we feel, how we react, how we build our social relationships. Okay, so that is very interesting because today's topic, Tanya, we're gonna to talk about, this is particularly intriguing for me, the idea of macro-management trap. Now, we've all heard about micromanagement in our day-to-day uh, -day life. What is macromanagement and why is it a trap? So micromanagement, everybody knows, right? So we've all heard of people who are managers who are overly controlling. So what they're going to do is they're going to be constantly watching you. The equivalent in parenting is like the helicopter mm -hmm. parent who's hovering over you and kind of overmanaging sure. the whole situation. And we all know that's bad. It fits our cultural uh, beliefs. We mm -hmm. like freedom and independence, all, all of these big ideas. And when we were working on the book, one of the things that we noticed and observed was everybody says, geez, I'm not a micromanager. Mm -hmm. But we said there's a whole lot of macro managers out there and they are causing a lot of havoc um, among the managers that I work with, that I talk to. And what a macro manager is, is the person who's very, who, who does too little mm -hmm. and, and, and who's kind of very hands-off in, in, in their management. And the, the unfortunate thing is that we have a lot of language in management that actually legitimizes these behaviors, delegate kind of, you know, give people freedom, mm. hire the best people and let the magic happen, all of these kinds of ideas, they allow you to think that you're going to be fine just letting people do their own thing. And our, our work, our writing, all of the research that's out there on teams says that you can create much more havoc um, by creating uh, that lack of structure, that vacuum there. Yeah, and this is very interesting, Tanya. In fact, when I read your book, especially one chapter in your book, you talk about the the 2004 uh, Olympic basketball team. And, yeah. and uh, you talk about that uh, the U.S. Uh, basketball team had these star-studded personalities. Uh, tell, you, tell us more about this. This is a very interesting example of how a micromanagement could happen 
to start performing teams. Yeah, so so we were interested in what you call super teams, super mm-hmm. groups, and um, so the U.S. Olympic basketball team was really the perfect example mm-hmm. of this. And so in 1992, when when the first uh, USA professionals uh, on the basketball team came together, it was magic. It mm-hmm. was a true super group. It was Michael Jordan, Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, and people would say it's like Elvis, the Beatles together. How could it get any better? You know, every other team mm-hmm. wants autographs from them, sure. the, the players on the other teams, and, and people are filling the stands only to see the American stars yeah. play. Nobody knows about any of the others. Um, and, and then you know, they did great. Um, but in 2004, something really different happened. And so there were all kinds of MVPs on this team as well, LeBron, um, Tim Duncan, Allen Iverson, and they were not known as the dream team, they were called the nightmare team. <laughs> and what the nightmare team w- did was they ended up losing to teams like Puerto Rico, mm-hmm. Lithuania, and Argentina. And so the question is, how can that much individual talent be squandered, right? Each individual there is the best in the world. Mm-hmm. And, and when you put them together, it, it created this, this terrible loss. And, and, so, and, and I think there are many reasons for that. We'll talk about that, I, sure. I guess, as, as we go on. But um, I want you know, people to at least think about being in, in, in your own teams and groups where you're with people who are individually quite intelligent, sure. and then you sit through committee meetings that go nowhere, that, that are so unproductive, that lead to such bad ideas. Mm-hmm. And you wonder, how could so many smart people have squandered <laughs> that sure, time, yeah. wasted that time, that energy, and, and pre- produced complete idiocy? Yeah, exactly. And in fact, this is very interesting, Tanya, because in, in, in MBOE, when we talk about uh, how do you really uh, put together teams, uh, sometimes people react saying, I'm going to find the best people. I'm going to find the best uh, designer. I'm going to find the best uh, manufacturing people, and I'll put them in a room, and ideas will percolate. And, and from what I'm hearing is it's not just enough for you to, uh, and then I'm, I'm going to give them freedom. Uh, one, t- one, one thing that we keep listening is, okay, I don't want to micromanage. I really want to give them freedom so they can go and uh, ideate and innovate and all those things. But oftentimes, as you point out, it's not effective. It's because that you're giving them less direction and less structure. Mm -hmm. And that's what you're trying to address in the micromanagement is that the structure is not actually there, which is creating this havoc. That's right. And so what what I'm I'm all for getting very smart individuals. But what the work that you have to do as a manager is to build the connective tissue between Mm -hmm. those individuals. And that's what you the words you're using, like structure and process. How do we set that up? How Mm -hmm. do we design the team? And if, if I were to kind of condense it into to just kind of a simple way of thinking about it, you have to be a real careful micromanager at first. Mm-hmm. Really be on your team, watching, designing, being very careful about the norms, the, the roles, sure. how the group understands it. And once you've got the processes in place, then you can macromanage, then you can give them freedom. Mm. Um, so, so I think... Both are appropriate, but you got to time it in the right way. And and I have uh, you, the the problems we often see are are when um, people undermanage their their teams initially. 
The best example I have of it is in classrooms. Okay. And so you, you think about a classroom where you don't even set up the basic norms of mm. the classroom. Sure. And people can do whatever they want in that class. They can speak when they want. They can talk when they want. They can use their laptops. They can be on the phone. They can mm. even receive calls. Mm. You can imagine the chaos that yeah. would be there. You will not be able to manage it. Um, and so in my classroom, one of the things I do mm-hmm. is it's, it's kind of a little game for me in some sense. And the students hate me for it, but mm. I I am very insistent on no laptops and no phones. Okay, and and so that is a basic norm that I have. Sure. And so when I set that up, um, people don't like it, mm. and and I'm very very clear on it, and I'm consistent with it, and persistent, um, and it be- eventually becomes a joke, and and they kind of like to see me flip out uh, about the laptops and the phones, but I tell them that's the, that's the point of what we do in, in management. Sure. We have to have a clear norm and live up to it. Yeah. And I've gotten many emails after the class where students actually tell me it was so wonderful to have that tech break where mm-hmm. we were just talking, we were communicating, and we had a wonderful group dynamic precisely because of that. So, so what I'm hearing, Tanya, one, one thing that is a very good lesson from this part is that you've got to be both. You've got to be a micromanager in the sense that create the purpose, create the context, create the way that the people can realize, the people, the high-performing people in the team. And then you can step back for a second and say, okay, then you go and innovate, you go and do your work, and that that is a more effective way of managing these kind of teams. Yeah, and I think think micromanagement has has such a bad connotation. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So, you know, the way, the the frame I like to put on it is it's design, right? You're you're designing um, a team. You have to do the work of organization. It's not going to actually happen on its own. Yeah. And, And really getting people people to be conscious about that their choices in design mm-hmm. when you do nothing people will fill that vacuum sure. they will choose yeah. okay so so you as the manager or the leader have to be conscious in terms of setting those norms in terms of being clear making sure the team knows how they fit together work yeah. together what they should do the the other thing i want to talk about which you talk about in your book tanya is this whole idea of okay now Think about again, and this is a problem that every company and every person listening to our podcast is facing, is when the teams are actually not at the same time, not at the same location. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, as you mentioned in your book, it's like people just think, okay, I'm going to create office spaces. I'm going to create environments that allows you to like, uh, and this is work somewhere else. And one of the things that you talk about is this idea of caves in your uh, uh, chapter. Tell us more about what does that mean? I mean, it's a very interesting analogy that I see happening in, in, in every day, every organization. Yeah, so so one of the things I'm really interested in is encouraging people to have diverse interactions with other people, okay. right? And so a lot of the work that I've done, for example, in networks, and mm-hmm. I talk about it in the TED Talk that I did, one of the things that we are very interested in is having people ha- bump into each other. Sure. People who are in different worlds bump into each other. So it's wonderful, for example, we talk about coffee rooms or the mail room mm-hmm. or certain spaces where different people who may not otherwise see each other, people like you and I from different departments, mm-hmm. get a chance to actually talk and see what's sure. your work. How can we work together? How can we collaborate? Sure. So those kinds of random connections are, are wonderful and, mm-hmm. and they can be so productive. And and I think people have been really inspired by that and say, let's do that all the time. Okay. And so this is this whole uh, collaborative workspace and it is it's interesting I think even in the beginning when mm-hmm. so, so um, when when all of this kind of started 
I would hear straight from my executives, we're, 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 we're going to do this collaborative workspace, mm-hmm. open office. And, and they all dreaded it. Okay. And, and you, can, you can think about exactly why that would be because mm-hmm. what, what, what ends up happening is, you know, imagine trying to do a math problem mm-hmm. with 50 people around talking and interrupting you and distracting you. Yeah. People need privacy. People need time to, to think. You're writing a paper for your mm-hmm. research. Mm-hmm. You have your office door open. 15 mm-hmm. people Come drop on. by. You're getting nothing done. Yeah. Okay. And so, um, but there are the times when you do need that social energy. Sure. Right. And, 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 and those kinds of processes where, where we, we're energized by being together. Yeah. yeah. And, and so one of the things that I think is very important when we're designing is creating spaces for the different sides of of work Mm -hmm. and so one side of work is I need my privacy to focus on really really cognitively complex things like coding like Mm -hmm. writing Mm -hmm. like thinking like math all of those things and when 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 I'm doing things maybe idea generation things that require more you know what do you think about this can you take a look at this Mm -hmm. then I want other people around. Sure. So, so we had to be really, um, we need to understand the kind of work and a kind of goal before we, we say this is the right kind of group or structure or organization that we're, we're, we're putting out there. Yeah. But I think a lot of these things, they get trendy and we're not thinking about the actual goal. Yeah. And, and can, you, can you tell us more about some examples of companies that are doing this? Because what you're saying, Tanya, is that create structures and, mm-hmm. and process where you, you encourage this opportunity yeah. to collaborate. But yeah. at the same time, again, have them, give them the freedom to go and do things alone in their caves or in their office spaces where you can actually ideate and be more creative. Are there any best practices that are going on, companies looking at this differently? So so I think one of the, the things that you see are, you know, you have your, in some universities, what I've seen um, is, you know, every faculty member has their private office of Mm -hmm. course but they create like a hub concept okay and Northwestern has uh, this kind of a design where there's really wonderful social space there where lots and lots of students faculty they actually have to walk through that okay then they get the social side of things going the other thing that I like is um, sometimes we we need different our groups to act in different ways right so sometimes we want our groups to be um, warm mm-hmm. and supportive yeah. and, and help us nurture an idea. Sure. Sometimes we want our groups to be tough yeah. and we want people there to actually fight and, and tell us this is a crazy idea. Mm. And so one of the um, really cool, very simple, any company can do it, um, it's at Owens Corning, my husband's company. Mm-hmm. What they have is a um, sign outside of one room that says okay. the war room okay. and next to it is the peace room mm. so when you're in the war room mm. you and I are going to fight and I'm going to tell you your idea is is not right for x y and z reason and sure. I'm it's not because I'm a jerk it's because I'm in the war room and sure. we have an important debate that needs to be had sure. and so it is we are acting mm-hmm. to the to the design of the room sure. it's not our personality so yeah. we can have task conflict there okay. then afterwards the two of us go and get a coffee Okay. or a wine over uh, in the peace room, peace room. And, oh, okay. and and so you can see how whether it's I need to work silently and I want collaborative interaction sure. I want to use my groups to to fight to sure. argue um, 
and then I want my groups for support. Yeah. We can see how design can can allow us to to do both. That, that's very interesting, Tanya. In fact, like um, some things that I've seen work in um, in healthcare myself mm -hmm. is this. Um, the way that some some organizations practice um, the huddles kind of where mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. every day in the morning there is a certain time and space where people have to bring out ideas and talk uh, and then the, I mean it's okay to be controversial it's okay to actually challenge others mm -hmm. but then after that that allows them to like manage their day-to-day -day experiences and then they go back and they do their original talk so so you're saying that again having that to be more of a habit yeah, allows uh, organizations and teams to be more effective. Then. Yeah, and and what I like about what you just said too is I think it's like a quick check-in. Yeah. Um, and so what what we don't like are two-hour meetings, meetings yeah. or three-hour meetings with too many people in it. Yeah. Like so meetings that are just wasting all those man hours um, and all those people don't need to be at the meetings yeah and in our in our in our you know it's about five six people who need to be there everybody yeah. else is just making noise yeah and so our goal in a meeting is how do we find the signal in the noise and there's more the more people is more noise sure and and you give more time to the meeting what ends up happening is people find a way to fill that time with talk. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And so you, we all know what happens in mm -hmm. meetings where you know everybody at the in the last, uh, you know, fifteen minutes, everybody starts working to get all the work done yeah. of it. And so why do we need an hour to do that? Then compress the whole meeting to twenty-five minutes. Yeah. And then you'll get you'll just be so these very fast, quick check-ins rather than these long, drawn-out meetings or situations where people are just. Folk, you know, there's so many people around that they sure. can't get away from, yeah. from from this interaction. Yeah, and, and in your book, Tanya, you talk about this whole idea of how some of these micromanagement traps actually come in, mm -hmm. especially when you have distributed work, like going back to people have nowadays the tendency of working from homes, mm -hmm. kind of, and, and they think there is more freedom of doing so. But again, having some of these structured way of like facilitating conversations you think would be more helpful for those kind of people? So I'll, I'll tell you this about the, so this is the whole Marissa Mayer kind of debate that happened at Yahoo. Yeah. And it was very unpopular where she was telling all these people to, to come and work in, in the workplace. Mm -hmm. And and you know, many of these are coders who do want that silence, who mm -hmm. do want to work from home. And I think again it depends on the type of work. Sure. If you and I are working in a close knit team where we need to collaborate, talk to each other, go back and forth, I need to be in your office, it's that kind of communication, mm -hmm. then yeah, I think you have to be in the workplace. Mm -hmm. If you're, for example, uh, in a in a university, very mm -hmm. often, you you know you have a f you have faculty members. They're doing research. They have external networks. Yeah. Um. They are they're they're out doing things with companies, other universities. Sure. Um. In some sense, you may want them to be away because yeah. they're they're increasing the rep reputation of, of of the university sure. in that sense. Um. And there's not much value other than you know sure. showing your face. Yeah. Right. And so there's it just depends on what the goal is. Yeah. Of, of the of the team yeah and the work dictates I mean the work, the work dictates, dictates how do you actually manage these things the other thing that I want to talk to this is very interesting from your book is this whole idea of brainstorming yeah so you talk about this in your chapter especially and by the way I want to remind our audience that Tanya you're I actually when I typed in Tanya Menon the first thing that I came across is your TED talk and congratulations, by the way, I think over 2 million people have viewed this TED Talk. So again, I encourage all the audience to go and listen to her TED Talk. It was, it was fascinating in terms of the thing. But I want to go back to this brainstorming thing that you talk about, right? So again, this is a common thing that we talk about in teams. Okay, we've got to brainstorm effectively. 
but oftentimes you get into this group thing where okay and one person bringing ideas and everybody following them right so you talk about how do you manage those kind of effects when you have high performing teams can you tell us more about what are some good practices there yeah so so what what ends up happening is we talk about the the whole history of brainstorming and most people think brainstorming is managers that's what managers do let's mm-hmm. we have a problem let's go ahead and brainstorm sure. right but we are doing it in a in a in a way that is unproductive mm-hmm. and and what the research actually shows is that when people are producing ideas in a group mm-hmm. versus just the same number of people working individually the individuals are producing more ideas mm-hmm. many many more ideas sure. and and also more quality of ideas as sure. well and so in the group process what you end up with is a lot of conformity you you're creating just a empty space people are just spitballing throwing mm-hmm. out ideas they get fixated on certain directions sure. um, and 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 you have the same people talking filling those vacuums mm-hmm. and one of the things we know about groups is that the amount you talk is not correlated with the amount you know exactly. and sometimes it may be negative correlations yeah. which leads to a very interesting Dynamics group out, out, yeah. outcomes yeah. Um, and so one of one of the things we say is how do we make this better sure. and so one one idea that that people talk about is question storming rather than um, just kind of this call out of solutions. Okay. And so what question storming is, is I'm not allowed to just come up with, here's a solution, here's a solution. I have to start asking questions. questions. Okay. And, and why that's really good is because we are able to start to understand the contours of the problem. Yeah. And rather than getting fixated on one thing and just going down potential rabbit hole, we may be focused on the wrong problem entirely. And so yeah. um, the, 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 the distinction that's made in strategies between problem solving and problem finding. Okay. Before we can ever solve a problem, we need to find problems. Sure. What is the right problem to yeah. find? So really thinking in terms of questions first is important. Another thing that we actually like is, and, and you mentioned distributed groups, people all over the place. Sometimes we don't even want words mm-hmm. uh, because words are a problem. You lose track of words, people sure. forget the words. So one of the things we, we do like is actually getting people to write. Okay. And, and so so that there's electronic brainstorming and brain writing, and you actually just get people to write down their thoughts. Sure. In, 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 and, and then you can read those thoughts and you anonymize it yeah. so that you don't know who said what, yeah. um, so that there's no status effects in terms sure. of evaluating the idea. And, and so, so that, that's a, a, another good practice so we can kind of put everybody on equal footing mm-hmm. without the status effects. Um, the other thing I like is getting people to do this before they ever encounter the group. So do the individual work first. So we have to know when to be an individual, when, when to, to be, be a, a group. group. Yeah. And so initially, I want all that diversity there. And so as, a, as kind of a way to think about this whole process and groups in general, I want to diversify my pool as much as possible. Mm-hmm. I want to pool, and then I want to filter. I want to pick the best ideas. Sure. Um, and so we want to we pool all of these ideas. You have your note cards out. Okay. And one of the things we, we, we talk about, and I, I make all my students do it in, mm-hmm. in the class, is I make them actually go through this process, put, put it in practice in their groups, in their teams, because we just we just don't do this. The next thing is once you have your pool of ideas, one way to start filtering it mm-hmm. is take the note cards and start organizing them. And what's great about note cards is you can manipulate them. Sure. You can move them around. Sure. And so I can say that your idea is connected to my, my idea in this okay. way, and I put them together. Or I say your idea is an example of my idea, or okay. your idea causes my idea. Sure. So once I have all the note cards mm-hmm. in, um, and, and you can do this as a group, yeah. then then you're, you're starting to see 
which ideas kind of go together, what ideas cause what, and little by little, you're you're trying to create arrows between those ideas. Sure. So really looking in the spaces of these ideas, how mm-hmm. they connect to each other, and and building a mental model as a yeah. result of it. And so it's really taking individual knowledge sure. and organizing it, consolidating it, sure. selecting what yeah. are good ideas, having people anonymously rate it, yeah. um, and then um, and, and then creating that collective wisdom, that product. So, so again, going back to what you just said, uh, this is fascinating for me because, again, what you're trying to do is create a process which allows these individuals to individually think and bring those extreme mm-hmm. points and not fear about, like, talking in a big group, but then, again, writing them, documenting them, and then going towards it where the leader or the team leader facilitates in a way that they all come together to actually be more effective is a, is a, is a, is a more productive way of managing these kind of high powerful teams then. Yeah, yeah, and and the other thing, and I, I didn't mention it as well, is having someone even if you're if you're doing it verbally, not mm-hmm. in a written way, having somebody actually map out the map conversation out. and draw it out there. Okay. Because there's lots of things where one person says one thing, and then we forget about an idea. Sure. And so really, so that you can actually see, because words are really hard. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we lose them. We, lose, yeah. we don't have a memory of them. That's why uh, uh, things like email, um, electronic, we say that, oh my gosh, it's really bad. But, sure. but actually, in, in some, when you do these, this, this whole method of brainstorming online is actually producing more and better ideas than verbal. Verbal. Yeah. This is fascinating, Tanya. Again, I really want to thank you a lot because I learned a lot personally looking at, again, when you, have, when you deal with people, when you deal with personalities who are strong, who are high performing, but still not uh, effective in actually bringing them together. There are some, what, what I learned today is there are some very simple things that managers can do. Uh, maybe it's like bringing them separately, having a structure in place in the front end, or the other things that you meant about, like how do we like create this habit of having them come together at certain points and then have their own personal spaces. There are These are very simple things that they can do to actually make those teams more effective. So this is very helpful for us, yeah. Oh, thank you. The one thing I do want to say is kind of our, our analysis a little bit of, of the um, the Olympic team, why yeah. they failed. Yeah. And so what what's interesting is you can, if you look back at it, they wouldn't have done a lot of these things, right? Yeah. Because one of the things that, that you see is these were individuals who competed against each other. Yeah. So they had no way of understanding who works together, how they work together. Sure. There were they they were each stars. Mm-hmm. There was no supporting cast. There was nobody who was a the connect you know connecting connection between between, between them. Yeah. Um, and and so they were really great individuals, but they had never really thought about how to come together as a as a team yeah. Yeah. and and kind of going through that process of building it. Whereas the other teams, whether it's Argentina, Lithuania, Puerto Rico, all of the these world. teams, they had worked together Get for years and years and years. And so one of the things that the research often says is if you have the choice between um, a bad leader mm-hmm. and a poorly designed team, mm-hmm. right? I think you, I would take any day, and this is what the research says, the bad leader. leader. Because the, yeah. poor, the poorly designed team, team. you're lost. You're exactly. lost. Yeah. Yeah. The they're team, the... is once you have the team set up, there there's much more hope for them okay. to to thrive. That is very interesting. Thanks again, Tanya. This has been wonderful talking to you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of There's a Better Way. To listen to our other episodes and for more information on the Master of Business and Operational Excellence, please visit go.osu.edu backslash M-B-O-E.